A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, I'm Anoush. And I'm Stephen. Alva, our third co-presenter, is on holiday, but on this episode of the New Statesman podcast, the last of the year, we discuss the Christmas rules U-turn and speak about our plans for getting through the winter. So over the weekend, the Christmas plans in areas that have been moved into tier four have been cancelled and the idea of three households in a bubble over those four days of Christmas has also been cancelled. So um, Stephen, you were following the U-turn closely and we've had a lot of questions from, from our listeners about it. You know, some of them are asking about the timing. So the announcement coinciding with this new strain and how concerned we should be about the new strain. Some are asking about what it says about Boris Johnson's leadership and some are asking about Keir Starmer's response to it. Is this a case of the government sort of being caught on the back foot by a new development in the virus? And and can we really condemn them for cancelling everyone's plans at such last minute? Well, yes and no, right? So the identification of, of the, the new variant strain, which which is more transmissible, although, of course, the thing you should always remember if you want to be optimistic about these kinds of things, which is also just true, right, is not the peak evolutionary state of any virus is to be highly transmissible and not that deadly, right? Yeah. That is apex virushood. But so the mutation makes it more transmissible, which probably explains the thing we didn't quite understand, which is why the national lockdown didn't really appear to put a dent in the rising cases in London in the way it did in the UK's other major cities. Now, lots of people, myself included, went, well, look, that's probably because London's the only sort of properly mega city in a UK context, mm-hmm. you know, significantly larger than any of the others, has more key workers in it. You know, like, and that may, of course, also be part of the thing, but it probably slightly explains why it isn't the last lockdown didn't appear to work in London. But that crucially kind of also illustrates why, like, so yes, the moment when kind of scientists went, okay, yeah, we, we feel confident this is, yeah, because there'd be new mutations of, of COVID-19 throughout the year. The moment when scientists went, look, we're confident that this is a thing, we're confident that, you know, like this does increase transmissibility, was the moment where the government did change its overall approach. Mm. But if this makes sense, it's a bit like if I, if like last week when I said, look, here are the problems of the Christmas unlocking, here are the risks, and we're going to call this problem Fred. And then the government went, oh my God, the problem's called Fred? Like, <laughs> the, the problem of the Christmas unlocking was moving large numbers of cases from 
are great cities, all of which are net exporters of people over the, the Christmas period to rural areas, semi-rural areas and towns, spreading that among older populations and overloading NHS capacity, right? That was always the problem of unlocking. Now, we now know that one of the reasons why that problem was particularly acute in London and the southeast was a new COVID strain that, that needs a tougher set of lockdown measures to hopefully help slow its spread. Mm. But to be frank, when it looked that London's lockdown hadn't worked, the the approach, right, particularly because I ultimately like, if lockdown measures don't work, you can always undo them. If mm. you don't try them, you can't undo having not tried them. Also, if you're going to do the Christmas unlocking, then you could not have a lockdown tier system based on healthcare capacity in those individual regions, right? So the reason why London was in tier two, although, of course, you can argue about what extent the government worked backwards from wanting to keep the engine room of the economy running as hot as possible, Downing Street wanting to sign with the Treasury, and to what extent they, that then informed going, OK, we'll use healthcare capacity, not caseload. But seeing as we were always planning to redistribute the caseload over the course of this travel window, so the the new variant is serious. Mm. We shouldn't be worried about it, but, you know, we should take it seriously. But equally, it is a bit like if, if, you know, if you were like, oh, I'm planning to go out jogging with, like, gold line beats by Dre and a £50 note trailing out my thing, I'd be like, Anoush, you're probably going to get mugged. And you then did it and you were like, oh, I got mugged at knife point. This is new information. But well, okay, the knife is new information. But <laughs> but, but the structural risk did not change. <laughs> you don't know how fast I jog, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a really fair assessment, isn't it? Because um even though the new variant, if you look at the graphs, has been rising, you know, extremely fast, there's still the old variant, right? There's still the other variants that we have in the country that also rise when you lift the measures. So like you say, that's not something that's new information that that the government can't predict when it relaxes the rules as has been happening with the sort of ebb and flow of the virus since it arrived. And I suppose it does sort of, it's the clearest indictment yet of the government's announcement of that Christmas loosening. We've spoken about it so often on the podcast and and the different factors and forces that were behind it. But I do think it shows it up more than ever to have been a sort of terrible plan from the start with, with no real sort of redeeming features. And of course, if you do have to cancel people's plans last minute, even if your hand is forced by a new sort of factor that you weren't expecting, it still means that the reality of people's day-to-day lives is they've spent money on something, they've spent sort of emotional labour and hopes on something that they then have to cancel. And of course, that makes people feel bad and it makes them feel like the government is, hasn't got its act together and it, and it loses that very, very crucial goodwill that you need from people to take them through what's going to last, you know, yet longer and, and is going to be quite a painful time still, you know, even with, with the vaccines on, on the horizon. And then, yeah, another point about this new variant is that that when you hear from scientists, they say that, that viruses do mutate all the time. And, and this variant does have a lot of different mutations, which makes it significant. But, you know, even if eventually there is a sort of strand of this virus that can that can evade the current vaccine that we have, that's that's no different from flu, really, because the vaccine changes its formulation each year, doesn't it, to to catch up with the new strain. And and these particular vaccines that are being rolled out are easy to tweak. So, 
you know, rather than being alarmist, then then it would it would be helpful if that could be sort of at the forefront of the government's communications as well, sort of how it works in terms of the vaccine. But in terms of the politics, because we've had a lot of listeners asking questions about that, there was quite an interesting question from someone about why Boris Johnson didn't just reschedule Christmas, which is quite interesting. And someone else was asking about why Labour doesn't turn the Captain Hindsight attack line that they always use on Keir Starmer back onto the Conservatives, considering they've they've had to do so many U-turns. So how do you think each party is sort of coming out of this debacle? I mean, to be honest, I would say I thought each party, you know, across all of the governing parties of the United Kingdom, so that is the Conservatives, the SNP, the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats, the latter two of whom are, of course, in office in Wales and the SNP are, spoiler alert, in office in Scotland. I would say they have all come out of it pretty badly. I would say that the, the government... Yeah, this is really bringing home for me the argument for English devolution because I keep wanting to use the phrase English government when I'm referring, of course, to the UK-wide government because it is, of course, England's devolved government de facto. But like, ultimately, I, I think like the, the first time I did a sort of like, hmm, maybe Christmas is not a maybe Christmas unlocking is not a good idea because of everything we know about winter transmissibility, peaks on the NHS, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, was when the government first started being like, oh, maybe we could unlock for Christmas in July, right? And that was something driven by the English government. And broadly, the reason why we ended up with this all-UK accord is that neither of, well, none of the devolved governments wanted to be the ones to go, Christmas is cancelled. And in the context of the Northern Ireland executive, there's obviously the kind of added internal politics that broadly, because Ireland was doing its public information campaign, Mm. aligning with that would have been fraught for some of the parties than, 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 than make up the government. So England was, the English government, speaking colloquially, was, was the lead instigator of that, right? But broadly, they all went along with it. They all dragged their feet in being like, look, this is obviously a terrible idea. And I think like in terms of the, now, okay, obviously Keir Starmer can say reasonably than he did last week go, are you going to cancel it? Which, I mean, like, as mm. crazy this is to say in context, right? That was still quite a difficult thing politically to do, right? I mean, like, as we all know, right, you, you was quite a lonely position to be going, yeah, this is a bad idea. But yeah. that's been obvious since they first announced it, right? And I, and I think, like, ultimately, and this to me is actually the, the real question mark around Keir Starmer's approach, is he enough of a gambler to successfully become prime minister? Because I do think sometimes you do have to, like, demonstrating leadership is partly about demonstrating a willingness to make tough and therefore sometimes risky calls. As, as, as I said, none of the risk stuff changed. I really think he ought to have come out and been like, Christmas, the unlocking, this obviously can't work. We shouldn't mm-hmm. do it. The government needs to have a grown-up conversation about risk. I'll be spending it at Christmas. Because there are lots of small things that you could have done additional support for people around bubbles to self-isolate if their family were further away and they'd want to turn up their local bubble. Just, you know, like there's just lots of things the government could have done because mm-hmm. some people will have needed to head home, right? And, and will, yeah, some of the people who headed home, you know, after the two will be doing so within the law because they will have an exemption un- under the guideline. Whether they consciously know that or not, their case for doing so will, will have a, a guidance. So I think broadly, all of, everyone has come out of this particularly poorly. The Conservative government, of course, has come out of this worse because, like, yeah, this this problem is not a mystery. The coronavirus is a locomotive that runs on us. <laughs> yeah. And also it's, it's sort of the little 
unglamorous things that aren't so little when when you're I know that now that plans have completely changed but but when they started getting worried about what they decided for for over Christmas they they told people to self-isolate beforehand which like you pointed out they haven't given them enough days even to do so but also they haven't given people means to do so have they so there's that very stingy statutory sick pay if you know, you're even eligible for it. And also the lack of support for those self-isolating on top of that, which is, you know, for a public that has been very compliant, and you can see from the polling, uh, the snap polling over the new Christmas rules, people are, you know, overwhelmingly on board with them. The bit of compliance that has been broken is is people being instructed to self-isolate according to some analysis of it. And that's because mainly because people just cannot afford to do so. I've been reviewing a book by a GP for the next issue of the magazine who's written about his experience of this year, and he encounters patients who are feeling ill who are saying to him, like we've heard from people who we've interviewed ourselves, well, I can't self-isolate. I'm on a zero-hours contract. I I won't make any money. So those little policy tweaks that Labour, to be fair to them, have been really hammering home about, you know, since basically March, that they've just ignored and I don't really understand why that is. You know, is it ideological? I don't don't understand it because it would be part of one of the missing pieces of the government's sort of pandemic response jigsaw. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, oh, good, because because I'm going to, you know, incur the wrath of VNS's marketing team very sensibly because I'm about to plug someone else's content. Please do subscribe (laughs) to the New Statesman so that I'm not thrown out of an airlock. But... Actually, I think the article that everyone should really wants to understand this is, is the interview that Rishi Sunak has done with The Spectator, where he, 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 I mean, and I do think this both shows, you know, it's a key insight into, into Rishi's thought, which obviously is something I hope we've been providing all year. But also, I think that shows that he is ultimately actually still a politician who is flawed and is at the beginning of his career and may never develop the skills not to do this, in which he literally explicitly says, if we're the high spending party, what's our dividing line with the Labour Party? And it's just like, I mean, that is, I was, yeah, a Conservative MP when it came came out, because I put it in, in Morning Calls Must Reads, because I thought it was, you know, an essential piece that, that people should read to get a sense of his, his thinking. They were just like, why on earth have we literally said on the record that the reason why we're doing this cuts is to have a dividing line with Labour? They were just like, <laughs> that's insane. But, but yeah. I, I think that this is the thing, is that like, the thing that Rishi Sunak has resisted throughout is anything that he might have to keep afterwards. Mm. Yeah, like that's, the reason for the free school meals resistance it's the reason because like once you go oh wait it turns out it's a social good if people can afford to stay home when they're ill like <laughs> yeah not not just in within my own workplace right if you go to the shop to a shop right it's in your interest for the person behind the till to be able to afford to stay off if they're ill and that holds for if they have the coronavirus or if they've just got a runny nose now of course there are compassionate reasons why that person as an individual with rights and and, you know the right to dignity and and the pursuit of happiness also deserves to be able to do those things but i think a large part of why we've ended up in in like a particularly poor position on isolation is a resistance to do anything permanent on sick pay that would be Mm -hmm. difficult to to unpick afterwards and i think that is you're right to say that is, is the main way that a, a government led by Kisama would have would have would have handled it better. Mm-hmm. However, I mean, I do think, and obviously, yeah, like the opposition has called called for sick pay stuff, but I do think one of the kind of the big missteps was not making sick pay their kind of 
their one big thing. Yeah, like the flagship thing. Yeah, yeah. because like everything else is so bitty, right? Like central isolation, you suddenly start getting into like an abstruse argument about like, oh, what, are you going to put people in porter cabins? Are you going to bulk book out holiday inns? Like central isolation is really important, but it's just not something somewhere an opposition should be. But I just think that, like, and this, I think, is where the, like, the sort of aversion to risk-taking, because Mm -hmm. it's safe. No one's ever going to point to the moment where you went, yes, let's do sick pay. Yes, there's a problem with procurement. Yes, there's a problem with this. Yes, you haven't done self-isolation. There is no criticism at an operational level that you cannot point to the relevant Labour shadow front venture and say they've made. The problem is that in of itself is one reason why why they have not been heard and they haven't used the like the main gun of the leader of the opposition which in a situation where there's a majority of 86 right even i'm not going to write about the like minutiae of what like a shadow front venture has said yeah i'm like the least cool person in political journalism like <laughs> but you know it's just, it's just not it's just not newsworthy right like it just doesn't matter you need to get the the big gun being the one to say it and everyone else needs to you, know, you can't have a situation in which, like broadly, like there's a welfare policy complaint, there's a Duchy of Lancaster complaint, and those and both those complaints are correct. It's just they should have focused on the welfare one. Yeah, no, no, I I think that's that's really true, and I suppose Marcus Rashford's campaigns each time on the free school meals and food poverty in general is an example of that, isn't it? Where obviously he's not a politician, but you have that sort of one drumbeat of a policy where everyone can understand it, and everyone to an extent sort of has either directly or indirectly kind of experienced it because everyone's either been to school or have children in school and you you can really sort of he's shown how you can really gain momentum around that by sort of being a a big gun who a lot of people have heard of making it very clear what you think the government should be doing and I feel like Labour could could probably learn a lesson from that along the lines of what you've been saying you know even to the detriment of maybe sacrificing quite so many different messages from each of the, the various shadow front benches. If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to The New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12. Go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So instead of you ask us, I think we're going to try and cheer you all up by speaking about something a little bit more lighthearted. You'll probably remember if you're loyal listeners that we spoke early on in the original lockdown about how we were all getting through it. And so we're going to do that for the Christmas break now, because hopefully both of us will 
have a little time to rest over this period. It's Alva's birthday, so she has been spared even this section of the podcast. So, Stephen, first of all, how how many of your sort of hobbies and your coping mechanisms have survived since since Easter? I mean, so so obviously, quite a lot of them have been curtailed by the lockdown. So because during lockdown two, Arsenal forgot how to play football. So I'm, I'm not gaining any enjoyment from that hobby, even though that is obviously a hobby that, that has survived. <laughs> As listeners will know, restaurants have been intermittently closed. So I've done a bit of that. The, the thing that this is like every week, I think I can't become more of a boring person live on air. Actually, the thing that I'm finding a bit unnerving is I've got really into tea. <laughs> <laughs> because obviously you just like in the past, right? You you didn't have a lot of agency over your tea, right? Someone in in our lobby room in in, in Westminster would get up and go, "Hey, do you want tea?" Or you know, you might yourself if you're in our lobby room, please please do not try and write in to expose the extent to which I was you know a free rider on the tea issue and then you're just like yeah I like tea I, I like it to kind of look have that kind of like you know like sort of pale brown you know I'm 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 very southern that kind of pale brown color and that's basically about it right but then suddenly you're at home right and you are the sole author of of what the tea is what type of tea it is I mean, the other day I actually Googled whether or not I could get different cylinders for my little glass teapot so then the different teas wouldn't infect each other. Because I've noticed that a slight lapsangy taste is starting to come into one of the teapots. And I, yeah, I've, I've really started to develop opinions about, you know, how, how long the water should be in. Like, I've gone from being someone like, oh, it's fine. But like, to be honest, if the tea arrives and it's regular tea, I'm going to drink it. To someone who's just like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's after 4 p.m. Time to switch to the broken orange pico asset, right? I've become a wine bore, but for tea, it's, it's actually really kind of terrible when you think about it. It's just like another way that I've just become a very sad old man in lockdown but yeah what about you Anush have your <laughs> I can't believe out? what I'm about to say on on the back of you talking about tea because I will also sound like a major bore <laughs> basically before this year I never cycled in London I never had a bike I was too scared never even used a Boris bike but I got a second-hand bike Promptly got it stolen, got another secondhand bike, and now I really love it. And my favorite thing is just to like tool around on it around where I live and tinker with it. And I got some new handlebar tape for it. And it's got to the stage where it was my birthday on the 30th of November. And what my main present or the present that I loved the most from my partner was a set of Allen keys. <laughs> and his nickname for me now is Amiable Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Because all I do is just tinker around with my bike and like look at bike websites. So that's become my new hobby, which is a bit different from my gardening back in Easter. But both of them are equally tragic. Yeah, I haven't like started making electronic music or doing anything cool like some people I know. So, um, yeah, sorry about that. But I really like the tea. I I like the tea idea because I'm a big tea drinker and I've never, ever got got into coffee. And I feel like you're allowed to be a coffee connoisseur, aren't you, in life? But you're never really allowed to be fussy with tea. So I, I like that. Yeah, so because when you said the garden and both of them, I thought you were going to say that like both of your olives had died. And I was just going to be like... <laughs> My two <laughs> olives. Both of my gardens. Yeah. <laughs> We've actually got loads of olives. It's really weird. It's like a mutant sort of winter hardy olive tree. But you are exactly right that being a coffee person is, is, is widely acceptable. And, and I think it's, I find it really striking that you go to any town in the United Kingdom, right? And there'll be, an, there'll be a fairly decent coffee shop, right? Yeah, like by historical standards, right? 
even a Costa, you can get an okay cup of coffee. And yet tea, yeah, our national drink, the drink for which we like hooked one population on opium, enslaved another population, <laughs> installed puppet leaders in a third. Yeah, like we made a lot of people shed blood for tea. And yet you go into any mainstream cafe and you get this kind of like this weird cup of tea where, where the bag has been barely introduced to oh. the water. The milk is just... It's, yeah. like, it's like two week hot squash but just with some tea dust. I hate it. Yeah. It makes me so angry. And then whenever I try and make a tea in a like keep cup or something, it just doesn't taste the same. That must be the cross-contamination flavours that you were talking about. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Actually, maybe I should just be loud and proud about the tea thing, because if I had said like in lockdown, oh, I've got into coffee, people would be like, oh, you're sophisticated. Isn't that like a thing George Clooney does, right? You know, those like weird little Nespresso things and are massively adding to our landfill or whatever. I think they have actually... <laughs> change that now and, and it is more environmentally friendly please 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 don't write in Nespresso people but you say oh I've got really into different teas and everyone's just like huh, patches on your elbows much <laughs> yeah and wine as well you're allowed to be a connoisseur about wine I, I'd always wish that like I understood more about wine just because you know it would be useful same I don't know anything about wine or beer which made it which made it difficult when we used to do you remember we used to sometimes get beer either for the advent calendar reviews we did or for the adverts that we used to do on the podcast and you'd have to be like this small batch ipa is delicious (laughs) and tastes different from heineken to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I think with with beer i also had this thing where for a prolonged period of time i was just like oh maybe it's because i just don't know the right brand for me and then i discovered neck oil oh i love neck oil Mm. yeah and I was like oh no I really like this and then some of my friends who actually do drink beer were just like mate this is not when you've discovered a beer that you like this isn't this beer is like two percent proof you do not like beer you just found like something so low alcohol and it's it's not but it is it's a really lovely beer and I and I I did always really struggle with the well I mean with beer 52 I actually thought that was actually a, a, a genuinely and this is why people should advertise with us, guys, because occasionally you get this extra free advert. That was something that I genuinely did like see the benefit of, not least because they sent you a little helpful booklet to be like, look, here are the flavours, here are the tasting notes. I mean, so like with lots of the beer advent calendars, one, like broadly, I think any alcoholic av- advent calendar has a problem that it falls between two stools, right? Actually, if you have to drink a different alcohol every day, or indeed if you just have a drink every day, you either start to feel pretty rubbish by like day six, you know, have that weird feeling where you feel like your body's gradually turning to paste mm-hmm. and like you're just oh, I, like sort yeah. of creating. Yeah, you, you just like you can just feel that your liver's just like, mate, please don't make me end you. <laughs> or if you're an alcoholic, right? It's not like there's very much in the calendar. There is no one for whom the amount of booze in a booze calendar is the is the optimal amount of alcohol. If you have a problem, you're gonna just drink it on day one. If you don't have a problem, you're just going to wish that someone hadn't got you the calendar on day five. (laughs) Or hadn't sent you the calendar for free, which we were very grateful for, by the way. (laughs) Yes, please please do send us your your free advent calendars next year, because this definitely won't happen again. (laughs) It has been a very weird year, booze-wise, because obviously... For us, for for the nerds like us, we didn't have our party conference season, which is usually where I end up drinking more often, not more booze, but more often than I usually would, and then feeling kind of grey and gross on the train back at the end of it. And also, like, the Christmas party period just hasn't existed. So I realised that I haven't really drunk anything. And it kind of made me nostalgic for the the good times when the New Statesman team used to 
actually go and socialize sometimes, like our secret tequila bar that we used to have and where you would always drink hilariously colored drinks when everyone else had like a half pint. <laughs> yeah, I think I can't remember it was when I suddenly was just like, do you know what? I'm just going to accept that I'm always going to have like the most effete drink out of the yeah. out- and I just don't care <laughs> like radioactive um, pink <laughs> but like this thing's ultimately like we don't drink well so we do drink it because I have a massive sweet teeth and tooth and that like genetic predistribution to diabetes is doing all of its work but like <laughs> but you know we also like scientists slash people who make cocktails have experimented with pink drinks and it's rude not to drink them it, it's odd because I, I feel like there was a real period in lockdown one when I got into this like quite bad cycle of being like it's the end of the day. How can I signal to my brain that it's the end, end of the day? Oh, I know wine. But I think overall, as you say, that I have probably ended up with a healthier level of intake because of the, the sort of weird conference thing where it's just like, hey, want to have a warm white wine and listen to someone talk about, you know. Cybersecurity. Yeah. Oh God, it's, why is it always cybersecurity? <laughs> Particularly actually last last year, you know, and, and actually, I, I do think some people who work on this for the SMP do listen to this podcast. So I'm just going to do some subliminal marketing here. Guys, next time you're, you're planning you know, where people should go, listen to your heart. What does your heart say? Glasgow, 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 Glasgow. <laughs> it wouldn't take, if it went Aberdeen, you'd be like, oh, my God, I've got an arrhythmic heart. I need to get that. <laughs> it's this thing where it's just like, oh, wow, these beautiful buildings. Oh, and then you're, then you're just in this conference center in the middle of nowhere. And you just end up, you know, eating like sort of like that weird like expensive hotel food where you hand the receipt in at the NS and they're like wow you ate well and you're like no no (laughs) No, not at all actually but ate appallingly badly you should be paying me (laughs) (laughs) luckily I wasn't on the no sleep till Aberdeen tour so I didn't have to endure that but I do remember pictures of Patrick and Alva just looking absolutely knackered on that train. <laughs> God, I'm actually a terrible boss, aren't I? <laughs> because I, I point blank said that they, we, we couldn't take planes. Fair play. I would be lying if I said I wouldn't do it again. But I feel bad about the fact I'm, I'm, I'm lying when I, I'm, wouldn't, I would do it again. Almost everything that went wrong went wrong. Thankfully, a number of very kind podcast listeners, when it looked like we might actually be stuck in Glasgow, which obviously in many ways would have been much better, uh, obviously would have been unable to cover the conference from there. When it looked like we were going to be stuck in Glasgow, did did kindly reach out and offer to put us up on their their sofas. But there was a point when I was just looking at the two of them and they were so wet and bedraggled and the trains kept being cancelled. And I was just like, oh, my God, this must be how, like, what's his fate? Oats. You know, one of those guys who got all of his men killed in the Antarctic. I was like, this must be how he felt. I've got them killed in the Antarctic. Well, not the I area. may be on this train for some time. <laughs> yeah. It's also just like, yeah, in the same way that like ultimately the Conservative Party needs to accept and they should never go to Manchester. Manchester doesn't like them being there. Yeah, I doubt they can enjoy being there. We get there. spat on. Yeah, like, like, we're no, members and we're not. Yeah, it's, just look at my lanyard. Yeah, it's just like you're know, like no, no one has a good time. It's yeah. just like go to Birmingham, right? It's also a great city. It's also got great restaurants. Yes, the conference center does have this slightly bizarre feeling that you're like doing it from an Escher painting. But <laughs> just stay in Birmingham. Then Labour needs to just go back to doing Manchester and Liverpool rather than the like weird endless endless walk to Brighton although of course I would take any of these places over conference panels where I zoom in from this flat yeah no me too me too I think that's probably quite a nice note to end our our ramble on because all of these memories just show that it is much better to be able to do stuff face to face than dial in and then one of your panelists is frozen and you ask your next question but you're actually muted and everyone laughs at you and 
you want people to ask questions and you look in the chat and there are no questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> if we weren't able to say to each other at Passover Shaders this year and next year in person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, have a lovely Christmas, Stephen. It's been nice doing doing these podcasts remotely so that I can hear another human voice in my week. Yeah, and you have a lovely Christmas, you know, such as it is. It's been a great year. And also, like, thank you so much to all of our listeners, not just for liking and subscribing, although please do do that. But, you know, the, the emails, the lovely notes in the You Ask Us, it's obviously been, as years go, not even a table wine. It's probably like one of those kind of like, Actually, do you know what is overrated? Twinings. Right? twinings. That's I was going to say twinings. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a twinings lapsang is what it is. But, you know, thank you so much, um, both for your kind of direct support of the podcast through subscribing to it and listening to it. For hopefully, if you can, to subscribing to The New Statesman, but also just because your messages have been a kind of continual sort of rock of sanity. And, of you know, my apologies to those of you who also have disrupted Christmases. And yeah, and here's to, you know, here's hopefully to a better 2021 where whatever happens, at least we will, by the end of the year, be able to complain about it in person. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleague, Stephen Bush. You can find me on Twitter at Anoush underscore C... You can follow me on Twitter at at Stephen KB. We're produced by Nick Hilton and we have to say thank you to him for putting up with our internet connections and for getting us set up remotely for the whole year and also doubling the number of podcasts that we do. Our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and make sure to subscribe. Subscribe.